good morning, Chelsea. And I'd just like to give a shout out to Denny. Denny, thank you for uh, always taking us through community life. And uh, I definitely enjoy your, your wit and uh, the energy that you bring. Uh, this morning, we're going to take a break from our teaching series on Jeremiah, uh, because we, I have the pleasure of introducing to you a uh, lead pastor candidate, uh, David Huynh, this morning. Uh, a little bit of background on David. David has over 20 years of ministry experience in Asian American churches, especially in uh, the Bay Area. His experiences include 10 years as ministry director for the Santa Clara Valley Youth for Christ, where um, he had spent time developing and supporting a network of over 30 Bibles, uh, Bible groups across public schools and networking together. He has also spent 14 years at uh, Chinese Christ Church in North Milpitas, at, where he uh, established and directed the English uh, outreach ministry there. Uh, recently, he was at Grace Lanch Church, where he shared the pulpit with the senior pastor, and he specialized in shepherding and counseling uh, families and young adults. David's uh, mission ministry passion is providing a safe place of pastoral counsel so to help people process what God is doing uh, to promote healing and growth. Just uh, some personal facts about David. And not only was he born in the South Bay, but he's lived in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley his entire life. He's been married 15 years to his wife, Leah, who was born in Maui. Uh, so a little connection with Ben, uh, having background in Maui. And she is a licensed marriage family therapist. Uh, her practice includes a specialty in providing counsel to Asian Americans, clientels, and uh, with, with a Christian point of view as well. Uh, David is also a coach uh, in her practice. So I guess you can say that if they ever do any joint sessions together, that they're, uh, they always create a win-win scenario. Uh, they also have two daughters, uh, Elise, who's 12, and Miriam, who is five. Uh, some fun facts. David loves to play basketball, and he loves fixing cars and flipping them uh, in his spare time. When I asked David what his superpower is, he told me that he makes a mean, life-changing spring roll. So uh, David, we hope that your ministry is on a roll. Uh, David is also a frequent uh, retreat speaker and he enjoys speaking to captive audiences. So certainly during this time of COVID, uh, we all might be feeling a bit like we're captives that need to be set free. And that would be appropriate this morning, because today, David will be teaching us a message entitled, Break Free from Spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. So Christian Layman Church, I'd like you to uh, give a big welcome to Pastor David Quinn. David? Hi, um, Rick and, uh, and everyone. Thank you for, for that, uh, for that um, introduction. And um, you are the pun master. Wow. <laughs> um, I just want to make sure, is, is everyone able to hear me? This is, yeah, different. Um, okay. All right. So we're good. Okay. Let me first uh, introduce my, my family. Um, let's see. You know, for some, oh, oh, you know what? I know what I'm doing wrong. Sorry. I, this is my first time ever doing 
a um, a live uh, Zoom uh, um, service. And so it sounds kind of funny, but in, in, we've been at the my my church. We've been doing um, uh, just recording all of our, our messages and, and putting everything together online. And just recently, we've been recording live at church. And so uh, this is new. But anyway, so this is. Um, this is my family. Um, so again, my wife and I have been married for uh, 15 years. She was born and raised in Maui, but eventually moved over to San Francisco and grew up in the Richmond district. And that's actually where, where we met um, in 2003, about 17 years ago. I actually got a chance to speak at her uh, church. And um, a friend, a mutual friend introduced us. And then she and I talked on AIM, you know, if, if anyone remember that. And so we we're talking about, oh, you know, she's, she seems pretty funny and, and she's passionate. She's full time at Golden Gate Christian Reform, where I was speaking. Um, like, huh. And, uh, and so it wasn't until she started leading worship that, uh, it, that, you know, for me, it just changed everything. Um, and so what happened was for, uh, as she was leading worship, um, I don't know if any of you have ever had this moment happen. Um, it, it sounds kind of awkward and creepy if it does happen, but if, if it ever has happened, um, it happened to me. And so what happened was as she's leading worship, um, I think she was doing that song, um, in the secret. And as she was doing worship, this, I don't know how or why, but this breeze came through in, um, in, in, in this, uh, in the building and her hair now was tied in a bun. And as the breeze came in, it, it, it undid her, her bun. And as her hair was coming down, you know, it came down. But for some reason, when I was see, seeing the hair come down, it was like, for me, it was coming down in slow motion. And as her hair was coming down, it was getting in, in her face. And so she kind of had to, you know, flick her hair. But again, everything was in slow motion for me. And I remember thinking like, wow you know and in that moment i thought wow uh maybe there's uh maybe she could be someone i you know could marry so that's a little bit of uh i know an, an intense um uh thought to have when just watching someone leading worship um and then a unicorn flew by right kind of thing but um and then i i thought like she i just i thought she was looking at me and so when she's doing that song in the secret i kept thinking she's looking at me and even for a moment, I thought, she's singing to me. She's not worshiping God. She's singing to me because the, the lines of that song go something like, I, I want to know you. I want to I wanna see your face. I want to hear you. And I remember thinking, like, that's it, God. You are speaking to me. And uh, she could be the one for me. Now I just have to convince her um, that I could be the one for her. <laughs> and so, um, so if you're, you know, I always say if you're single and you're trying to, you know, when someone just, just flick their hair, um, if you're a girl, if you're a guy, flick that hair, maybe, maybe something will happen. My oldest is Elise. She's, she's 12. She, she has a, a passion for um, ministry already. Last year, she and I partnered and we did this after school tutoring program for the kids that just don't have the resources to do Kumon or, or those things. And uh, that was a great joy to do with her. My youngest is, is five. Uh, she's the passionate one um she doesn't hold back whether she's happy or 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 not happy kind of a thing and so together uh, you know i'm very fortunate to to have the family um that that i have and so um that's that's my family so hopefully we can get a chance to um, meet each other but thank you for this opportunity to um to 
to, you know, do this this morning with you. I've enjoyed getting to know everyone, and it's been such a, a blessing to hear the great things that God has been doing, uh, not only in the life of uh, CLC, but just so, uh, in so many people's lives at CLC. So thank you. So this morning, I want to, um, um, I want to talk about spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. Now, if you don't know what Stockholm Syndrome is, basically the best way to describe it, it's, it's a very complex relationship between someone that's been kidnapped and a kidnapper. It, 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 and it expresses that complexity and sometimes into a romantic relationship where the kidnapped uh, person develops romantic feelings for the kidnapper. Right. Even though they're they're abusive, they're you know crazy or whatever, they develop romantic feelings, and it's out of a need of survival. Or the person that's been captured, they start to see the capturer as a, a as a parental figure, and they have this incredible desperate need to to please them. And as a result, the the one that's been kidnapped, the one that's been captured, starts to emulate the person uh, and their values and their beliefs, even though it could be destructive, even though it, it, it could be things that they would never do themselves, but that's Stockholm syndrome. And the saddest part about that is while they're in the midst of, of uh, doing those things, they don't even realize what they're doing. They don't realize what they're doing is, is, is destructive. And so some history, um, you know, some examples of, of uh, people in the past that have uh, been a great case study for Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, if you were around, there was uh, Patty Hearst. She was the uh, kind of like the Paris Hilton of, of uh, that time. Um, her dad was, you know, famous, rich and powerful um, and the Hearst Castle owner. Right. Um, and she gets kidnapped. And and then the, she gets kidnapped by this terrorist group, and then she starts to go with the terrorist group to go rob banks. And there's this crazy picture of her. And obviously, she got rescued and, and brought out of that, and she shares that story. But you know, she she she's a classic example of Stockholm syndrome. Another person that you could say is Elizabeth Smart. If if you remember that situation where she gets kidnapped, she had so many opportunities to leave. Now that's also an interesting case study. Was that out of a need of uh, fear or is that a, 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 a Stockholm syndrome? And another one, if you've ever seen this older movie called Blood Diamond, it's a uh, it's a great story. And one of the side things in the story with the uh, with the character on the right, his his son gets kidnapped, captured, and goes from an innocent. Uh, fishing, you know, twelve-year-old boy who loves school, who loves the, you know, the simple things, gets turned into a um, a, um, a a toy or, or, or um, a boy soldier who kills and who does pretty pretty crazy crazy things. And so, part of the side story is how he goes through the process of Stockholm syndrome. And so um, you might be wondering now, like, well, why, why are we talking about Stockholm Syndrome? Well, maybe, just maybe, right? Maybe a lot of us find ourselves uh, doing or, or doing some destructive things that in, in the middle of it, we don't realize that we are doing destructive things. Or maybe we find ourselves, um, uh, you know, doing things and not even realize how, how, how hurtful it is 
not only to ourselves, but to the people in our life. And so, um, uh, so you know, we don't realize how how um, upsetting and how 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 bad the the situation um, is. And so, um, so we need to talk about this because for some people, they don't realize that they've been doing certain things that they they never thought they would be doing until it is too late. For an example, you know, I I you know, there are some people, right? There's some some people that uh, I, I have counseled who had infidelity issues. Now, I would say nine out of 10, and if you know anyone that's been in that situation, I, I, I think you would hear the same thing. Nine out of 10 times, and this is true not just for people in, in, in situations of infidelity, but other, other, uh, other issues as well. But nine out of 10, they will always tell you, hey, I, I, didn't, I never thought I would be in this place. I never intended to get engaged with the third party. I never thought I would be doing something that would destroy my life and destroy my family's life. Stockholm Syndrome, you see? And the worst thing about Stockholm Syndrome is you're doing these destructive things and not even realize it. And so um, now I never got myself involved in anything intense. And maybe that's what you're thinking. You're like, I don't, I'm not in in, in any uh, situation where I'm, um, you know, having an affair or I'm doing murderous things. But don't you think, and don't you, if you really think about it, sometimes the, the, the most destructive things are the things that don't, aren't obviously destructive. So even for me as a pastor, right, I didn't realize when I was at the, uh, my last church, uh, at the beginning of my time there, I was, um, you know, like uh, my, 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 my thinking was pretty destructive. So what I got caught up in was more an issue and a drive to be successful now you might be like well isn't that good well yeah that is good but the the why i was doing ministry the why i was doing everything that i was doing at the church was to be that pastor that was successful and for a pastor to be successful right there's like numbers there's you know being quoted on social media um there's people going up to you after the message and go wow you know i never seen the passage uh, i never i never i used to read this passage all the time but wow you brought life into it you know and you, you act humble like wow like no no that's god but deep down your side like it feeds that drive to feel validated and to feel to feed that 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 drive to be successful and so um you know, again, at the heart of it, it wasn't that, you know, anything was, you know, I wasn't like hurting anyone, but I was doing it all for myself. And I was chasing this desire to be successful. But as hard as I was chasing after that success, I could never taste the satisfaction of that success. Even though, quote unquote, there are times when I could have felt satisfied with my personal success. And also the consequence with that was I was impatient. I was uh, at times could be controlling uh, and neglectful to, to my family. Right. And, and, and so, yes, you know, you're like, it's just a small thing, but isn't it always the smallest thing uh, that gets turned into something so uh, destructive. And, And the worst part is, you know, it's those little things that, you know, to me, what's scarier 
that Satan sends the demons to attack people or Satan just whispers a little thought in your head, you know, you're better than them. No one appreciates you. Or, you know what? Do this and you'll be happy. Have more of that. And then you'll get everything you want. Just a little bit more. Just try a little harder. They're getting in the way. Just, just ignore them. So to me, I don't know about you, but to me, it's like have a demon attacking me. I mean, that's never happened to me. I don't know if that happened to you. But, um, but to me, to be under Satan's Stockholm Syndrome and not even realize it is pretty scary to me, right? And so how do we break out of that, right? How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we get to a point? And maybe some of you are at that place where maybe you're like sensing God has been saying something to you, or maybe you've been like, how come I made that decision? What was I thinking? Why did I say those things? Why, why do I get so impatient? These are just, this is just a eight-year-old, you know, just an eight-year-old. Or why am I so angry at my spouse? Or why, why am I, you know, whatever that is, right? Maybe God is trying to tell you that there is something else going on. Maybe he's trying to show you that you're, you could be under some kind of spiritual Stockholm syndrome. So real quick, how do we break out of this, right? How do we, um, how do we let Christ free us? How do we let Christ free us so we don't have to keep uh, um, um, punishing ourselves from the guilt of our past behaviors? How do we, how, how can Christ free us so we can experience healing? How can Christ free us so that we can experience redemption? How can Christ free us so we can, we can choose and pursue what he wants so we can live out what God intended for us? How can Christ free us so that we can be responsible for our work? We can be responsible for our children and yet still find joy and, uh, and, and find that it's, it's you know, um, lighter without and continue having a soft heart. And so real quick, we're going to look at uh, John chapter eight and um, we're going to look at verses 30. 31 um, through 30, just really quick, just through 36. And I want to be mindful of our time because uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I could be one of those people that goes on <laughs> until 5 p.m. and I didn't realize that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going that long. Um, and so, yeah, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8 and we'll look at verses uh, 31 through uh, just 36. Now, if, if we had more time, we would like, this is such, I mean, the whole, I mean, the whole Bible, right? But this passage in itself is so rich and is oozing with things that can really help us understand ourselves better, but more importantly, understand God so we can experience that, that freedom that Christ offers. Um, and not just the idea of that freedom, but to experience it and to have it. So, um, that's quite a long intro, but let me uh, pray for our time, and 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 then uh, we'll 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 um, you know let's let the word of God speak to us. So, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that um, we have this time to read your word, to meditate on your word, and to let your word speak to us. 
We thank you, Lord, that these are not just a bunch of, you know, letters that form words or a bunch of words that, that you know, uh, are just put into sentences. But, Lord, these are our words that give life. These are your words to our lives, to our hearts. So I pray that, God, that this morning, wherever we are, whatever distractions that are pulling us uh, away from your word, would you bring your word uh, with fire? Would you bring your word to our uh, just forefront and just see, God, this is what we are needing. And maybe this is the passage for some of us to undo certain destructive patterns that we find ourselves uh, doing over and over. And I'm not even sure why. And so uh, I pray that out of this, that God, um, that we would be not only just changed, but more importantly, we would know you deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look. Um, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Um, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So real quick, let's just look at what, what and how is Jesus showing what you know spiritual stockholm syndrome um is the first thing we want to look at is how um we are taken captive and the thing that gets us captive the thing that that has kidnapped us that has shackled our hearts is sin sin puts us under spiritual stockholm syndrome right uh, if you look at Proverbs 5, 22, I'll just read it real quick. It says, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. And he is held fast in the cords of sin. So you see, we are controlled by sin. We are defined by sin. And we can never be free from sin. And so in verse 34, Jesus points out uh, how sin takes us captive. So if you see in verse 34, it says, uh, if you practice, you know, let's see, it says verse uh, 34, uh, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if you look at the kind of the Greek, you know, lexicon and the nuance of, of what's going on in that, it's a present tense, which means it's a continuing pursuit. It's a continuing practice. It's something that you keep going to over and over and over to. So it's not just like a one-time thing, but it's a it's a, it's an over, you know, it's a thing that you constantly are, are doing and pursuing. Now, um, what is sin that Jesus is speaking of? Is it a, is it a behavior, right? And is it a behavior? He's not talking about a behavioral modification program here, right? He's talking about heart issue. Think of it this way. You know, when you look, if you ever do a word study on sin, there's, there, it, it's such a rich, rich, rich uh, word study because on one hand, which is a great definition, sin can be what? Missing the mark, right? You have a mark, but you just keep missing it, right? And that is a good 
good definition of sin. But another definition of sin is not just missing the mark, but aiming for a different mark, having a different aim. Not, your mark isn't God. You're not, your mark isn't even what God wants. Your mark is what this other thing is. And so choosing something else over God. So, you know, so another way to look at it is how does, you know, so when we keep pursuing this other thing, thinking it will give us what we want. So you see what Jesus is saying is if you keep pursuing these, uh, this other thing, you'll be a slave to it. If you keep believing and chasing after a queer thing, it'll give you all the security in the world. You will never have enough security. If you keep pursuing the perfect family, you're going to find that you, it, it, you'll never have that perfect family. Uh, if you find yourself trying to find um, financial, like a um, security you're never going to find that financial security you will always need more or want more or something will always be missing so can't you see that um with sin we can't be you know if we keep pursuing sin even though it doesn't look like it's sinful it's not murderous it's not like you're doing anything that bad but what it's choosing something other than God, believing that other thing can give you only what God can give you. So not only that, but it changes you, right? It changes you. You turn into someone that you never thought you would become. And, um, and I, I, you know, I, I think of one situation where it's pretty intense. This guy was sharing with me, you know, in high school, you know, like he had opportunities to sleep around, but he didn't want to, because, you know, he, he wanted to respect women and, and just didn't want to be one of those guys but in college he he sleeps around and he starts playing those like uh, uh games where he compete with other guys and the question is like how what happened and in the middle of that he didn't realize what he was doing he didn't realize that it was so destructive and 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 now he looks back he's like it's because who i was friends with it you know they you know their values you know, I was, I was, you know, caught up in it and, and I didn't know what was right and wrong. I just wanted to fit in and, uh, and look at what happened to him. Now he's, he's, he's trying to work through and break through some of those cycles because it's still, it's even now affecting his marriage. Right. Um, or a girl who, you know, growing up, you know, she, she was always the innocent one, you know, always friendly. And so she joins this company and she finds out the company to make it, you got to be cutthroat. You got to, you know, basically be ready to uh, uh, smack people down kind of thing. But that's not her. But then she, to become successful, to do well, she's tried to do that. She became that. But the hard part was she could never turn it off. And so she found herself, you know, uh, be, berating um, her family. She found herself berating even like worship teams, right? And, and she was so ashamed. She couldn't understand that in that moment, how she got there and why was she doing those things and why didn't she see that? It was so destructive. And so, so Jesus then shows us how, right? How do we break out of this cycle? Christ shows us in verse 31 um, if you abide in my word and truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I just want to highlight one thing because I um, want to, you know, we need to uh, wrap this up. Um, but I just want to highlight one one thing. If when, in verse um, 32, 
I mean, I love that part where he goes, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So really one of the, if we look at real quick, the word know, if you look at the, the Greek, it, it's one of my favorite words, actually it's genosko. Uh, and the same word that Jesus uses in, um, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when, uh, you know, when, when he's saying this will happen, some of you will come up to me and say, Lord, Lord, um, you know, uh, for I did all these things in your name and just away from me, you evildoers, for I never knew you. So what is this word? No, because it's not like, it's one thing to know someone, but to really know them, right? It's one thing to say, like, I don't know, hopefully I don't stir any Republicans here, but it's like one thing to say, I know Michelle Obama, right? And, uh, but it's another to say, I really know her. I really know her. I really know her because of a personal interaction with her. I really know her that I can show up to her house right now and not, and know I'm not going to get uh, taken down by the secret service, right? Cause she knows me and I know her. We have a, this experience with each other. So what Jesus is saying here is there's a difference between know about it. And just like uh, Caitlin was sharing when she was leading us in worship, you know, sometimes we know the gospel, but do you know, are you interacting with the gospel? Are you allowing the gospel to be the gospel to your life, to every aspect of your life? And so what Jesus is saying here is to know, know the truth, right? It's to, ha- to have a relationship with the truth who is Christ. To have uh, an ongoing, interactive, intimate, vulnerable relationship with Christ and to know Christ personally. So what Christ is saying here is when you truly know him, you will experience freedom. He will free you from Stockholm syndrome. He will free you from the guilt of thinking, but all those things I did, I'm a horrible person. He will free you from that guilt because he will tell you, I paid that price so you could be free not only did i pay the price so you could be free but i paid the price so that you don't have to keep the identity of a slave identity of a guilt person but the identity of a son a son that lives in the house forever now you know if you think about it the difference between a slave and a son right it if an owner of a house has the son and slave go wash his car, his servant, between the two, who do you think would do a better job if the, the, the owner had, you know, two cars, went this, the servant's here, worker's here, and then the, the, the son is there, right? I think most of us would say this servant, right? Well, think about it this way. The servant may, but he's always, he's, he, you know, he's going to be working hard. He's always going to ask himself, is it good enough? Is it ready enough? And he's always going to be stressed out because he'll see like maybe raindrops or a bird fly by and he'll always be protecting the car, right? So he's going to be stressed out. He might do a good job. Now, some of us might think, well, the son, he's just going to not care because he's just going to take it for granted. But what if the son knew the father, knew how good the father is, knew how merciful the father is, knew how much the father has done for him so much in God's context, he would offer his own son so that this son could be his son. I think that son will do a better job. And here's why he's going to do it out of, out of knowing and out of gratefulness. And he's going to do it with freedom. 
without worrying like, oh no, my dad's going to reject me. He's going to kick me out of the house, but he's going to do it with assurance that I'm going to do my best. And, and I know my dad, I know he'll appreciate it. And if it messes up, then he knows my heart. But the servant, he, even though he does a good job, he's going to get satisfied for one moment, but then he's always going to dig to the next project because he's always wondering, am I going to get kicked out? I have to keep doing a good job. So how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a child of a loving father that adores you, that, that will never change that relationship that he says here um, remains forever? In that movie, in Blood Diamond, you know, there's a scene at the end, very intense. But uh, I, I love that scene because, you know, he, he tells his son. Um, so what happens is the, the, um, the son is, uh, uh, so they finally, you know, he finally catches, they finally ca- catch up with each other. And they see, um, you know, so they catch each other. And now the son has a gun pointed to his, his own father. And his father's like, you know, like in this, you can tell that that scene is very intense, very powerful acting. You know, the son's like not sure to shoot his own father because he's so messed up in the head from Stockholm syndrome. And so his capture tells him, shoot your dad, shoot your dad, shoot him, shoot him. And he's like, you know, pointing the gun is very intense. Right. And then the father says this one thing that even today, when I still read it, just, just moves me because it's God saying this to us he says you are my son i am your father who loves you and you will come home with me and be my son and earlier he says i know what they made you do you're not bad you are my son come home and be my son again. And I wonder when you, some of you, some of you, when you think about your past, your history, you know, I wonder if some of you have that moment where you're like, you're just looking at God and he's pleading with you, come and be my son again. Come and be my daughter again. Come and know me as your father again. I wonder if some of us are holding back because you're so full of shame. But he's saying, come, can't you see? Don't let the Stockholm hold you back. See what God offers is so much better. It's so much more satisfying. So this is what I want to ask you to do this next week. And then we're, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up. We're close. Um, this next week, every day, spend 10 minutes with God. But let him be your father. Spend time with God like how you would spend time with a loving father. Some of you may not have a loving father or loving mother, so it's hard to untransfer that into God. But just for a moment, just for every day, for 10 minutes, just for 10 minutes, pretend if you haven't, that God is that loving father. More loving than any parent that you know. And, And just for a moment, in that 10 minutes, let God be your father. Spend time with God. Maybe go for a walk and talk with God like you would with your own father. Maybe uh, go for a hike. Maybe maybe while you're doing the dishes, you know, do the dishes with, with God like he is your father, like a loving father does with their child. Uh, uh, when you fold laundry, when you're coding, 
right? Maybe when you're playing video games, right? <laughs> um, when, when you're going for a drive, do things this next week, every day, just for 10 minutes, just 10 minutes that you would do with a loving father so that you can experience freedom. And when the freedom that you have, you can be free to choose him. You can be free to live differently. You can be free and empowered to know him deeper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the freedom that we have, that true love frees us, God. We thank you that, Lord, um, it's not, I mean, we have a responsibility. We have a response to your love. But Lord, this freedom that we have is based on what you have done, what you have sent Jesus Christ to do on the cross and how you constantly, constantly fill us up with your Holy Spirit so we can be reminded of that truth. That there's, there, is a, there is a part that we have, of course, but God, there's nothing that we can do to undo that um, what you have done so that we can know you as our Father, Lord. And so I pray and ask God that maybe some of us, we've been in this destructive pattern. We've just been noticing it. And maybe some of us, we feel shame and, and full of guilt. We just can't, just can't move forward. I pray that you break us free from that. Free us from believing that the hope we have in you not only suffices all of our needs, but Lord can give us um, the life and the heart that we thought we have lost. So we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.